Thank you. Good morning, Cross Point. Good morning, kids. You can be released for Children's Church, and thank you so much for your wonderful song. I can't tell you what a joy it is to my own heart to hear children singing together the truths of Jesus. So thank you so much for that. So I want to invite you this morning to go ahead and and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning because believe it or not, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. It's really like it boggles my mind to even say that. But I wanted to let you know that next uh, Sunday, Christmas Eve, we're going to have our regular service here at at 10 a.m. I hope that you can can make it. It will be a family-style service, so it's going to be a little bit uh, different because we're going to have uh, children and adults together. And I want to, you'll, you'll be hearing from me this week because I'm going to be asking some of you to read scripture in the service because I want to have, as we walk through that service together to look at the, the prophecies that, that point it to Jesus, to, to look at the story and to tell it together as a church family. So some of you will be hearing from me to read a passage. I hope you will be willing to uh, help with that uh, next Sunday. So in week one, when we were kind of starting, because Advent, if you remember, it literally means coming, like the arrival of Christ. And we stand at this moment in history. If you remember, there's a past reality to this and there is a future reality to this. And we stand in the middle of these two realities that on one hand, we look back to the promises made by God to send a son who would crush the head of the serpent, who would redeem and save from sin. And, and, and we celebrate that in the incarnation, God taking on human flesh, being born as a child. And we look back and we say, God was faithful in Jesus. And then we look ahead to the promises that he will come again. That God who ascended to heaven said that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, surely I'm going to come back. And it's a not yet we still wait, but because we know that God was, prom- was faithful in the past to his promises, we trust that he will be faithful to the promises that we have yet to receive. And so this time of year is a moment to remember. And if you remember in, in week one, we looked at the origin of hope. When did hope first begin? There was a promise made in the garden, like when sin first entered the picture, when God called creation good, and then all of a sudden, all that was good became broken. When pain first overshadowed peace, and when the treadmill first started up that outpaced our rest, and things became toil and hardship, in that moment of original sin in the Garden of Eden, there was a promise made by God in Genesis 3.15 where he said there will be a son who will be born who will crush the head of the serpent he will be bruised in the process but there is there is one who is coming and what has happened since then was looking for that son when eve gave birth to her first child cain she was like look god has been faithful he's given me a son is this him is this the one who who god promised and yet over and over again throughout history it was like no that's not him that's not him and thousands of years have passed before the promise would be fulfilled a promise that we're going to celebrate its fulfillment next sunday But today, I want to look at the announcement of his birth. When Gabriel came and visited Mary and promised the birth of the Messiah. I want us to discover the setting. Things that that we may be familiar with, that we've heard often. We know, maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. but, But there's a time that when we read it, I want us to, to discover the reality of the setting. To hear the proclamation made by the angel of the Lord Gabriel and to experience and realize the surrender of a a young woman who was trusting in God above all else. So there's four parts. There's four things I'm going to want us to see in this statement that I pray that today's passage encourages us and it it challenges us to see that, that the humble and the poor in spirit, 
will reflect and meditate on God's Word with belief in God's power with complete surrender. It's these four things that that I want to encourage and challenge us this morning as we look at this text, Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. And so if you will, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel of the Lord told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the the angel, "How, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, even she has conceived a son in her old age and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing is impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You may be seated. I want us to consider the the setting for a moment. It's a setting that I think for for many of us we're familiar with. Like we've heard the story, right? Like the angel appeared in Galilee in a town of of Nazareth. And they become part of a Christmas story that, that for many of us we're very familiar with. But there's things that are said here that would have amazed the first century Jew. That they would have heard this and they would have, what is common to us would have been unbelievable in their minds. Are you serious? Galilee? Nazareth? Out of all places, because in all the years prior, in all the ways that God worked, Galilee has not been center stage. If you were to put Israel on a stage of how God has worked within a nation, it would be Judea to the south. Galilee is is full of half-breeds, is what they would say. They're not full Jews. They're lesser than. God works in Judea. And then the spotlight, that, that spotlight on the stage of Judea would have been Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of, of David. This is the place where, where his presence dwells in the temple. This is where God works. But Galilee? Nazareth? That's nowhere. There's no mention of it before this. It's unknown. It's insignificant. One future disciple, Nathaniel, would hear that Jesus is from Nazareth, and he would be like, say what? Like, can anything good actually come from Nazareth? Was his question. What is common to us would have been shocking to a first century Jew. Galilee? Nazareth? Mary, who in the, the world's eyes was not much to behold, she was too young to, to know much of the world, to have accomplished anything of much significance. Historical documents say she was probably between 12 and 14. Between 12 and 14. If she was like the other girls from Nazareth at her time, She would have been a poor peasant girl, illiterate. The only knowledge she would have had of the Torah would have been what she memorized at home from hearing it 
talked about in the synagogue. The trajectory of her life was nothing extraordinary. It was expected that a poor peasant girl would have poor peasant children who would grow up and have more poor peasant children. That's what was expected. That's what would have been seen as normal. And think about this. The greatest news, the greatest news to ever be declared to the Jewish people that proclaimed in Israel was to the humblest of its people. The greatest news, the Messiah, the one who was promised in the garden, he's coming. And where was it said? In Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, to a young woman. The humble and poor in spirit. This is who God chooses to speak to. Kent Hughes in his commentary writes, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation, meaning when God took on humanity, born as a child. We must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation and the gospel. The Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without him, they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. The incarnation, salvation, the resurrection, Christmas is not for the proud and the self-sufficient. Dr. Luke would go on to say for everyone, recording Jesus saying this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I want us to begin here as we think about who Christmas is for. There's something we hear in the story of how God comes to Mary in Galilee in the town of Nazareth. That is a reminder to us that God does not come to the proud. He did not come to, to the king and, and in the highest places. He came to what was lowly in the world. The poor and humble in spirit. Like as we enter Christmas this year, how are we entering it? Like in the busyness, like with everything going on and, and the parties and the meals and the gifts and everything. Like if we just take a moment and humble our hearts before God and realize that Christmas is for those poor in spirit and humble before the Lord. Do we think too much of ourselves? Do we think too little of ourselves? Do we humble ourselves before the reality of this story that is so much more than just a story? It's not just a Sunday school story. Like this really happened. Christ taking on humanity, being born as an infant, a child, completely dependent. And yet whose words in eternity past said, let there be light and created all that we see and know. There's a setting here that I don't want us to miss. And then we hear the angel's proclamation, Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. But again, sometimes we read these things so fast. Do we remember that it's like 550 years ago, this same angel of the Lord appeared to the prophet Daniel to explain to him a vision, a dream he had. And before him, it says Daniel fell on his face, face in the dust of the earth and passed out. He was sick for days afterwards. Daniel, wait, you can read about it. That was one occasion. And then just six months prior, you can read just a little bit before in, in Luke chapter 1, he appears to Zechariah, the father of, of John the Baptist, in the temple, in Jerusalem, in Judea. And, and Zechariah hears that, oh, we're going to have a son? He's like, yeah, but, but I'm old and my wife's no spring chicken. Like, how's that going to happen? God's like, well, because you doubt it, now he can't speak for about nine, ten months. Unable to, to communicate a single word because of his doubt. And now here he is again, angel of the Lord, standing before this young lady, 12 to 14 years old. 
in the most unlikely of settings in Galilee, in Nazareth. Are you kind of seeing the scene? This isn't common. This isn't normal. This isn't what's expected. And yet there's something completely unique. The angel came and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. That this young lady is the recipient of divine favor. Now this does not mean that Mary was sinless as the Catholic Church began teaching in 1854. This doesn't mean she is a servant of God is who she is. She is not perfect. She does not have her own grace and merit to, dis- to dispense to others. But here's the thing. Sometimes we're so concerned by not making too much of Mary that we also must not ignore her either. Her faith, the way she responded is such an example. Another commentary said, Mary was the only woman of the billions who have inhabited our planet who was chosen to birth and nurse God's son. For that, we must call her blessed. Hers was the face that unto Christ had the most resemblance. The Savior bore some of her human features. Jesus' face could be seen in hers. Think of it. She is blessed indeed. Just because others have thought too much of her, we must not imagine that our Lord is pleased when we think too little of her. God bypassed Judea and Jerusalem in the temple to bestow favor on this young woman. And he says, and I am with you. The Lord is with you. I've placed my favor on you. I'm present with you. And Mary's response says she was deeply troubled by this statement. (laughs) Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now I imagine, if, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, you, you, you know that he was a doctor and he's putting together this account of eyewitnesses. He's approaching this in a very logical manner. And I'm imagining, he sat down and he's like, okay, Mary, what in the world were you thinking? Like, what happened? And it's like, you know that feeling like when, when it feels like your gut just got turned upside down? Like, it's, that's what it's saying of like that trouble is this stirring inside of you, like, What is this that I'm hearing? But the interesting thing is when it says, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. It literally means that she kept pondering the meaning. She reflected. She she meditated. What, What is God doing here? There wasn't immediate doubt. We're we're about to see that. There was deep thought. This young, inexperienced woman was reflective and meditative. One quote said, contemplation is not a psychological trick, but a theological grace. And Mary had a theological grace to contemplate the reality that this angel of the Lord has just appeared to her, has just said, you are highly favored, that the Lord is with you. Her stomach does a somersault. And she's like, what is God doing. I think Mary's example here is helpful. It has a practical relevance for the chaotic and uncontemplative culture we currently live in that just moves forward faster, faster. Christmas decorations will be gone and what the next thing will be Valentine's Day we'll see in stores before the end of the month? When do we silence the noise? Like when do we allow God to to stir our soul? Here's my prayer for us this Christmas. That when we think about what it means to be humble and poor in spirit, that as such that we will reflect and meditate on God's word. Here's my hope for us is don't let this season move so fast that we are not moved by 
or that we do not contemplate on the realities of what we celebrate. Like when we just think, like just seeing the manger up here with the baby, right? Was in my mind like, that was God. <laughs> like this is what we sing. This is what we celebrate. Like he made a way from the manger to the cross. Like we think of Christ and we think of him walking on water and performing miracles. And we think of him hanging on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins through his death because he lived a perfect life. And we say this and then we're like, and he was born as an infant. Like that's not normal. Like there's nothing in my brain that would say like, yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't. And so let our heart just process the wonder of it. How amazing of a reality. Don't let the days and the hours and the weeks, next week, it's here and and then it's gone and it's New Year's and it's the next thing. Let our hearts be stirred is my hope and prayer. Let our minds contemplate and reflect and wonder what could all this mean? And then we hear Gabriel's proclamation. Now listen. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. This isn't like a crazy name. This isn't like a weird name. Other people had this name. It literally means salvation. And so it says, look, you're going to have a son and I want you to name him salvation. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. So now you're hearing these words and you're like, okay, I'm going to have a son. I'm going to name him salvation and he's going to be the son of God. Your brain's trying to process this as Gabriel continues to speak. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now, here's the thing. These again are not normal words. We hear them and they're like, okay, Gabriel said this. But to the first century Jew, hearing these words, this triggers something in their mind because it triggers 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16, which is known as as the, the Davidic covenant. This was a promise made that this is known as a messianic promise. This is known to say this is about the Messiah. We know this because in when they found those ancient texts in Qumran that date back to this time. There's proof there in the writings that Jews at that time believed that these verses, that this is being summarized, was attributed to the Messiah. This would have been taught in the synagogue at the time of Mary. So Mary now hears these words. And this is what Mary hears. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be called the Son of God and he is the Messiah. He is the one who was promised in the garden. He is the one whom was promised again and again through the prophets. And now it is being announced to her that she will carry this child. The one who was promised. This is what she heard. And so she had a question. But there's something I want us to see in her question because it's not like the other questions. She's like, how can this be? I'm just curious because I haven't had any sexual relations with a man. And you're saying I'm going to have a baby, a son. But this question is being asked in full faith. She's not doubting it's possible. She's not saying, well, that's weird. How's this going to happen? She's like, "Can, can you just explain to me your plan? And we know this. Because when Zechariah asked a similar question, remember it in the temple and he's like, okay, I'm going to have a son. And he's like, I'm an old man. My wife is old. How can this be? It said because she doubted, because Zechariah doubted, that's why he couldn't speak. There was doubt in the question. 
And when he was asking, how can this be? There was doubt there. He was like, I don't believe this can happen. I'm too old. She's too old. You can't do this. But there is not doubt in Mary's question. There's curiosity, but there isn't doubt. And that leads to the third point. That when the humble and the poor in spirit, that we would reflect and meditate on God's Word, and with belief in His power. There are ways that we can ask questions of God that are either filled with faith or doubt. Like, think about this. We can say, how long until Jesus returns? How, how long, Lord? See, on the one hand, in doubt, we can say, well, if Jesus hasn't returned yet, if it's been 2,000 years since he said he was going to return and he hasn't returned, then I don't think he's ever going to return. And that same question is asked from a place of doubt, or we can ask from a place of faith. And we can say, oh, how long, Lord? I'm waiting. I know you're going to return. How much longer? Because I can't wait. Because I long for your return. I long for everything to be made right. Do you hear the difference? Same words. But there's a difference in the context of our heart. Why am I suffering? Why so much suffering? Because obviously if I'm suffering, then, then God must not exist. Or if He does exist, then He's not good. Because if He was, then I wouldn't be suffering. Or, we can ask that same question in faith. Lord, why are you allowing this? I trust you. But I'm struggling in it. And I look to you. But I don't know all the answers. And I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. But I'm going to keep looking to you. And I'm going to keep following you. Do you hear the difference? See, the matter and what I want to impress on our hearts this morning, along with the contemplation, is is your heart leaning in faith towards God and His Word, or is it leaning in doubt and fear? We can look at our words and we can say, I'm saying the right things. I'm doing the right things. But two people can say the exact same thing, and yet the posture of their heart behind those words are vastly different. And so it's the posture of our heart in belief that God is powerful and good and trustworthy and true. Or is it in fear and doubt and hiding? Where is your heart at today? And to see the faith-filled surrender of Mary. Because the angel replied and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. Therefore, the one to be born will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's like, okay. That it would not be through biological means that Mary would get pregnant, but it would be through supernatural means. This doesn't mean like what Muslims have said and and can believe at times that God had sex with Mary. That is not what it's saying. It was a supernatural act that caused her to become conceived with the Son of God. Now, here's a side note for some of you, because it's this truth that kind of put me on the path of even becoming a pastor and loving theology. So when I was young, I was about 20, and I was considering, okay, do I want to go into ministry, don't I? And so I would go with my pastor at the time, and and we went and we did a a hospital visit, and then afterwards we went to a mall to have lunch at a Chick-fil-A that was in the mall with another pastor who was an older gentleman. And I remember listening to these two pastors talk, and the older pastor said, What would be the consequence if you removed the virgin birth? If Jesus was not removed? If Jesus was not born of a virgin? And I'm just sitting there like a young man, and I'm like, I've never heard that question. I have no idea. Like, you mean, see, I was still at this stage where I kind of like, I had these individual beliefs. Like, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this. 
but I didn't think about how they interrelated to one another, that they were like connected. And so they're talking and they're like, well, if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then he could not have died for our sins. And all of a sudden my brain exploded. Like, how did you get there? Like, what do you mean? And then it's like, well, like, and, and they start talking. Like, if, if he wasn't born of a virgin, then he was born of a, of, a, of a man. And if original sin is passed from the man through Adam, sin has entered through the whole world in Revelation 5, then Jesus would have been born into sin. And as sin, when he died on the cross, he could not have paid the penalty for other people's sins. He could have only died for his own sins. Therefore, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, he could not have paid the penalty for our sin. This is why the manger made a way to the cross. And my mind was just, I was in love. Like, I was like, this is incredible. You mean there's more of this? Of like the way that, that God has worked throughout history? You mean all these things are interconnected? I share that as a complete rabbit trail of everything in hopes that if you've ever just isolated your beliefs and like you're just like, oh, that, like, there's depth here. There are ways that this is interconnected. I pray it's like salt on your tongue that just desires, creates a desire for you to know more. That's all that point was. I didn't know if I was going to say it. I did. Maybe it will stir some of your hearts. Maybe not. I don't know. But for me, every time I come to this place, I'm reminded of how God used it to stir my heart to know him more, to know his word more. So back to the story. In 38, we see Mary. And hear her words. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Do you think Mary was aware of the consequences of what she just said? Wouldn't anybody? She's betrothed to be married to a man and she's going to come back pregnant. For every other woman in history, that has meant one thing, except for her. People are going to talk. They did talk. They called Jesus an illegitimate child. Like there was a reputation in that moment, standing before the angel of the Lord, she surrendered all that she knew, all that she had, saying, I'm a servant. I'm God's servant. Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, was also a disciple of Jesus. Followed him, believed that he was God, believed that, that he died for her sins. When Jesus promised that wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you to go out and to be witnesses to all the world, Mary was there with the disciples, waiting. Again, the Lord's servant. And that brings us to the fourth and final point this morning. The humble and poor in spirit will reflect and meditate on God's word with belief in his power and complete surrender. What does that look like for us this morning? What does that look like for you to say, I'm the Lord's servant? Lord, have your way in my life. Whatever that means, whatever that cost, whatever I have to lay aside. Like, can we surrender before the manger and the cross? Are we approaching God with humility or pride? Are we allowing His Word to rest on our hearts? Or are we just distracting ourselves? So we don't have to think and we don't have to feel and we don't have to contemplate. Are we responding with faith or doubt to the words that we hear? And are we responding then in surrender? 
in self-denial or just by saying, well, thanks for that, but I'm going to do my own thing. The call this Christmas and what I want us to hear is the call in the challenge. Don't let it move too quick. Slow down. Let us humble ourselves. Let us think deeply. Let us feel deeply and let us surrender fully. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. For your grace and and for your mercy. Lord, I thank you that for Mary's example, I can't imagine all that was felt in this brief conversation that's recorded. The aftermath. Lord, the days and weeks and months leading up to his birth. Lord, I pray that you would humble our hearts before you. Lord, help us to not just be so familiar with the Christmas story that we just move on. We just assume that, oh, I I know it already. I don't need to learn anything more. But Lord, the reality that an eternal God would take on humanity, being fully God and fully man. Lord, let that weigh on our hearts. Let us think deeply about what this means. Lord, give us faith to trust in your word, not just for what you have said in the past, but what you continue to promise for the future, for the steps that we will take in obedience because of your word today. And Lord, let us surrender our lives to not just hear your word, Lord, but to respond in action and in life. Lord, have your way. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you've placed your faith and and trust in Jesus, we have communion elements on the side of the bench in the basket. If you want to take one of those, if you're here this morning and you have not yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask that you not participate in, in this aspect of the service but that you use this time as an opportunity to, to observe and to pray. Ask that God would make himself known to you. Are these things true? Like, Lord, show yourself to me. I desire to know you. But for the believer, this is something that Jesus has commanded that we do, that when you gather to, together, do this in remembrance of me. And in so doing, we proclaim the truth of who Jesus is in his life, death, resurrection, and in his return. And so I want to, to call our minds in remembrance and faithfulness to Jesus' command as we take the bread from the top of the elements. And we remember when Jesus says, this is my body, broken for you, to do this in remembrance of me. That what we are remembering is as that song said that the children sang, from the manger to the cross, that on the cross, the body of Christ was broken to pay the penalty of our sins. That is why he came to seek and to save and to redeem us, his body was broken that we may be healed. Let's partake. At the end of the meal, Jesus took the cup. And again, when he had given thanks, he says, this cup is a cup of a new covenant that's poured out in his blood for the forgiveness of many. In celebrating the birth of Christ, we also celebrate his death, his resurrection, and his return. We drink a cup of mercy because God drank a cup of wrath. Let's partake. Lord, thank you.
for this time of year, this season to remember that the eternal God would take on humanity to be faithful to the promises that you made in the garden. That there was hope in the beginning. There is hope today. There is hope for the future. And so, Lord, we sing and we celebrate this morning in that hope, in the reality of your faithfulness, in the reality of your goodness and of your love, Lord. We rejoice and we say thank you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me as we continue in worship this morning.
guys can be seated. Sorry, Anthony, I kicked your thing. Um, hey, guys, my name is Stephen Bean, and I'm a partner here at Crosspoint. You know, this just came to mind while we were singing, and uh, I... It, it kind of relates to how we like to end our services, but uh, the book of Matthew, when uh, the angel is talking to Joseph, he, uh, he says that his name will be called Emmanuel, which means, do you guys remember, God with us. And then at the end of the book of Matthew, uh, many of you may be familiar with the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So the, the book of Matthew is actually bookended with Jesus being with us and calling us to go out and make disciples, and he will continue to be with us. So that was just an encouraging thought that came to mind as we were hearing the word and, and worshiping together. And it relates to how, how we like to talk about church. At the end of our, our time, we're all going to say together, go and be the church. And that's what that's about, that, that Jesus is with us and therefore we are empowered to go into a lost and dying and otherwise hopeless world to take that hope to them. So I want to thank you all just for being together, um, worshiping together. It's good to be with you. I was just listening, I don't know, something, there was something different about worship, I think, uh, these last couple songs where I was hearing the voices and it was just really cool to hear everyone singing, worthy is your name, Jesus. And uh, it's just a privilege to, to worship with you guys. If you're new and, and visiting with us for the first time or you've only been here a couple times, I want to thank you for being here with us. Um, we'd love to be able to meet you. Uh, it, you can go to the connect table. Uh, we have a, a little connections card that you can fill out. Really, the most important thing is we want to be an encouragement to you. If you're looking for a new church or you're just visiting town, whatever it is, we hope that your encounter with Crosspoint has been a positive step in your discipleship. And so we'd love to just talk with you, hear, hear your story, let you hear a little bit more about us. And uh, whether you continue to to join with us or you go to another church, uh, we hope that we're able